Good morning, church. Welcome, everyone, to Crossroads. We're glad to see you here. Would you please stand up and worship with us and sing praises and sing joy. For those of you joining us online, I want to thank you for tuning in as well. If you're in an auditorium, let's go ahead and let's, let's raise the house this morning. Come on. Quiet. 
Lord. Amen. Amen.
your side so heaven is real and death is a lie i want to hear voices of angels above singing as one hallelujah holy holy god almighty God we serve. You may be seated, please. Tell you what, I wish I could preach after that song, huh? Wow, the great I am. Nothing great. Let's thank him again this morning for who he is. What a great God we serve. We're so glad that you're here today. We just want to welcome everyone to Crossroads. 
If this is your first time here or your second time, we want to welcome all of our guests and say please stop by our Welcome Center. We'd like to invite you to stop by there. We have a free gift just to say thank you for coming, and we'd like to just welcome you here to Crossroads today. Just by way of announcements, we have just a few little announcements here coming up. As you know, we're marching into Easter. Once we get the snow flurries out of the way this week, right, we're marching right into Easter. So we'll have uh, the egg extravaganza coming up on Saturday, April the 9th. We're going to have this, uh, I call it the egg hunt on steroids up here, right? There's over 10,000 eggs, probably closer to 20,000 eggs will be out there, and uh, there will be kids everywhere. We'll have over about 1,500 people come to this event. You can see there's three different times that somebody can come. You can bring up uh, your kids, invite your neighbors to bring their kids up. That's why we do this, so that people know, hey, go up the crossroads. There's a church that cares about you, and whenever you need help, they'll be there for you because they have the answers found in Jesus. Amen? So that's our purpose. So we're keeping our purpose at hand. Our purpose at hand is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus. So when we do this, we, put, we scatter eggs and candy all over this place. And it's a, our team's got an incredibly uh, fun thing that planned for the kids. But more than that, we are wanting to open up doors for the gospel. So I want to encourage you, use this as a way to open up doors for somebody to come to Christ. Invite somebody. Go to your neighbors. You know, like you see your neighbors have kids and you don't talk to them. Go invite them anyhow, okay? Go invite people. Let them. They will come. People will come by personal invitation, all right? So secondly, we're going to move in. Coming off of there, we'll move into Good Friday. We'll have our Good Friday services on Good Friday at 7 p.m. We'll be here. We'll be reflecting on who the Lord is, reflecting on his sacrifice. We've invited Cody Sable, the, the speed artist painter, the, uh, the painter that you've seen here several times before. We've invited him to come back as well. And so we're going to have just a night of reflection on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to encourage you, mark that. It'll be a time of worship and communion. And then we'll move right through the weekend. We'll have our Easter services Saturday at 6 p.m. and then Sunday at 9.30 and 11 a.m. And on that weekend, there will be kids' ministries for all services, including Saturday evening. So we want to invite you, begin to pray. This is our season to, uh, uh, to you, you know, Every Sunday is our season to invite somebody. You invite people all the time. But this is an extra opportunity that God has given us during the Easter season when people are uh, kind of looking, saying, hey, I kind of would like to have a church for Easter. So I want to encourage you, go out and let, let people know, hey, I've got a place. You can, you can sit with me. Um, if, you, if you can't make it with me, you can come up to the church and you'll have a good time no matter when you come. So invite them to come this Easter here to Crossroads. Wednesday evening, our studies are back up and running. We had a, we had a good time this past Wednesday. I came in here uh, for the, uh, the, the camp, clubhouse kids, had a talent show, and man, it was funny in here. Those kids, some of them were doing some serious things, and it was absolutely wonderful, and then others were doing some funny things. One girl got up and read a joke book. It was so funny, man. She just kept reading all these jokes, and I was taking notes because you might see them in a sermon sometime soon, okay? So uh, there, was, uh, there were so many good ones that those kids were doing. But we were so happy to be here. So our studies took a break on Wednesday. This Wednesday, we're coming back. The men will be in here for the Case for Christ study. I want to encourage you men, come on out. We've had a great group of men coming out. I want to invite you to be here for that. And then uh, the women's group will be down the hall in room 8207 with Nancy Baker as they continue their study. I want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving. God has been so good as, uh, has, as he's been good to you. You have been returning your thanks. And when we tithe, when we give to the Lord, uh, you are, that's what you're doing. You're responding to him and you're, you're giving 
God what is His. And so we do that. Our offering is received through the wall. You can place on the offering boxes on the wall in the auditorium or in the foyer, online or through the mail. So we, we appreciate what God has been doing here, and we know that God is moving. And, uh, and I just want to throw this thought at you for prayer as we go to prayer this morning. Many have been asking about Ukraine. What, what will be our response to Ukraine? And once you know, already we are supporting those missionaries that we have on the birth of gift of Jesus list, and we're waiting to hear further word from them. We also will partner with organizations like uh, Samaritan's Purse, which I've heard Samaritan's Purse has had a very strong presence already over in those countries where the refugees are fleeing to. So we will open up a fund if you would like to give. As a matter of fact, you can give today and just put call it Ukraine, uh, Ukraine Fund, and we will put it there to help the people. We will send it to places like the uh, Samaritan's Purse. We'll start there, and then we will help other missionaries like Ron and Nancy Minton. We've heard back Ron and Nancy Minton are not in the Ukraine right now. They have been able to uh, escape, but uh, they are in heavy contact as much as they can be with the people. And the word that we're getting is that many believers chose not to flee, but to stay and win people to Christ. Now, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? Not? Many of them said we will endure suffering because there's a ministry here. We want, we want our country, we want our people to know God. And so um, as, they, as they go through this tremendous time, many have fled, others have not. But I want, uh, I want to continue to pray because I know as you watch this, you watch these atrocities on the news, we don't understand the evil. And as a matter of fact, the evil is, is overwhelming. But we know that our great God is bigger than all the evil. And God is doing something behind the scenes which we do not know. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's stand together as we pray before we sing our next song. And I'm just going to invite you to join me in prayer. And let's, uh, let's lift up these things before the Lord. I want to ask you to pray with me for the Easter season, that this will be a, a time of spiritual fruit. God will bring people unto himself. Let's pray for the, the church in Ukraine. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing right here in our part of the world, Lord, here in little western Pennsylvania. God, you've been moving in mighty ways. And God, I thank you that as we see crossroads, we see our church, our little, our little neck of the woods, Lord, you're allowing us to see great advancements uh, for your kingdom, Lord. We're seeing people come to know you. They are following you. And we're seeing great revival happening in our church. Lord, we honor you. We bless you. God, as each gift that each one gives of their gifts and they they tie they give unto you lord i pray you will bless each gift and each giver lord as as these uh, gifts go to your honor and glory god i pray that uh, you would be um, touched for eternity by the faithfulness by the uh, the obedience of your children lord and god i pray that you will bless those gifts and multiply them around the globe lord as we impact not just here in western pennsylvania but we impact around the world God, we, we lift up our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, Lord. We know that there are a number of believers, Lord. Um, your work is probably strong in Ukraine um, compared to Russia, for sure, Lord. And we know that there is a, a tremendous force of the darkness and the evil, the, the, the darkness and evil coming against the light. So, God, I pray for our brothers and sisters over there right now as they are fearing for their life, but they are not afraid to continue to tell people about you. Lord, I pray for those that have had to flee for safety and for those that ended up staying. God, you've led all of them for different courses. And God, your will will be done. And there's something mighty going to happen from your hand. 
So, God, we don't understand. We stand here and we say, Lord, what those people intended for evil, we know that you have intended for good. So, Lord, we ask that you'll work in in the Ukraine, work in all of Europe, Lord, uh, and in our globe. Father, may your name be made famous. May people find out who you are. Lord, as we come this morning to worship, we want to worship you for who you are. In your precious name we pray. Amen. As we sing this next song, let's just sing it out to the Lord and worship his name.
Father God, we come to you this morning. We want to praise your name because it is who you are. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about what you did on the cross for us. It's all about you raising yourself from the grave. It's all about you preparing a place in heaven for us, even as we are here today, singing your praises. Lord, thank you so much for being who you are, for being the great I am, for being the one that is worthy of all of our praise, for being the one that seeks after our souls, our lost souls, and you draw us to yourself so that we can be the children of God. God, it is all about who you are, and we praise your name this morning. Amen. journey through the last 24 hours of the life of Christ. As we come and we look at how Christ operated, we looked at for 36 weeks earlier this, uh, in the last year, we went through the book of Mark and we saw his life. And it brought us all down to this, this powerful moments here in the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus. Three weeks ago, we went over and we looked at the, at the Last Supper. And we said that, man, this was the, the, the supper that, uh, that the people had celebrated. It was part of their festival known as the Passover. And so when Jesus took the Passover and he took those elements and he said, hey, these are the elements. <laughs> this has always been about me. And he changed the script. He made change for eternity, and today when we come and we celebrate the Lord's table, it's always about Jesus. So that's where, where we were a few weeks ago there. That was the beginning of the last 24 hours. It was sundown, and then the next day he's going to die. So we go into sundown. They have this Passover meal together, and then he says, basically, we're not going to let this betrayal happen. At the dinner, he tells his disciples that one of them would betray him. They all say, it's not going to be me. How could it be me? Is it I? And they're all taken back by this. Jesus says, basically, we're going to take this outside the city walls. And so he goes outside of the city because they were in the upper room within Jerusalem. All good Jewish people wanted to have Passover celebration within Jerusalem. So they go inside Jerusalem, have, their, have the Last Supper. Then they go outside of Jerusalem and they go over to the Garden of Gethsemane. Last week, Pastor Luke took you through the passage on the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying. And the Garden of Gethsemane, that was the place where the, where the olives were, were pressed. It was, the Gethsemane is the olive press, okay? So when you think of an olive press, think of those little olives being, being pulverized, being crushed till all the juice comes out, till every last piece of oil comes out of the oil, and all you see is this carcass that's been shredded and destroyed, and that's what was happening to Jesus in the heart of Jesus at that moment. He's out there and he's praying. And so for three times he goes and he prays. Three times he, he's out there and he's praying. He's saying, Lord, if there's any other way, please let this pass. 
You know, whenever God has a plan for you, but you don't want to do it, like God, Jesus wanted to rescue mankind. He wanted to do what the Father said, but he kept coming back to the Father. At the last, we're in the last 24 hours, and he says, is there any other way? And, you know, I was always taught as you look at that passage that, well, you know, Jesus just wanted to die on the cross. And he came, and his whole mission was to die on the cross. Yes, that was his mission. But I want you to catch the pain and the torture of it. Because even as Jesus, 100% God, yet 100% man, is in the garden and he's praying, he's saying, Lord, is there any other way? And I want you to think about this because each time he goes out to pray three times, it says he went out and he came back and the disciples were asleep each time, right? You know why they were sleeping? Because they had a full meal. It was Passover. <laughs> I want you to think about that. They had this big meal and they're tired and it's now approaching midnight. And so, actually, whenever they come to the la- when he comes back from the last one, it's right about 1 a.m. So Jesus goes out three times to pray, and I want you to consider this because when Jesus went out to pray, think about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He went out into the wilderness alone, and what did he do in the wilderness alone? He was tempted three times, right? And so here Jesus comes in, and he's going out and he's praying three times. And can you imagine the temptation that was coming at Jesus? The temptation that was coming at Jesus was, well, hey, you know, could you imagine Satan coming to Jesus and saying, well, you know, maybe this isn't the time. Maybe if you just bypass this and, and you could keep healing and, and people were, they'll call you great. And all these temptations were coming at his soul, everything. But yet Jesus said, not my will, but your will, O Lord. And he came back to the Father's will. And so today we're going to pick up with the end of that passage, Mark 14, and we're going to move in to 1 a.m. It's now right around 1 a.m. Jesus come back from his last time praying. First 40, Mark 14:41. Then he came the third time and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, see my betrayers at hand. And can you imagine this? See my betrayers at hand. Can you imagine Jesus uh, has come and his, his buddies, his disciples have been sleeping through his prayer time. And he comes and he says, what's wrong with you, basically? You know, get up. The time is over. I, the betrayer is here. And you, you've just kind of woken up. You're, you're one of the disciples. You've kind of just woken up. And as you get up, all of a sudden you see this crowd of people. Verse 43, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So here comes, it's 1 a.m. You've been, you've been asleep kind of, you know how you do that whenever you, you, you want to go to sleep but you can't? Maybe, maybe you're not like that, but me, I'd like to sleep all day. You know, and you just get that little bit of sleep. You get an hour in, then somebody wakes you up. And this is what happened for the last three hours. These guys have been like, oh, we've had this big meal. We're out here. We don't really understand what he's talking about. And, and then they wake up, and you're startled. And now all of a sudden, in the midst of that stalling, you, you look out, and here comes Judas. And he comes, it says, with a great multitude of swords and clubs. A great multitude of, of officers with swords and clubs. My understanding, as I've done a little bit of background on this passage, says that it could have been up to 600, an entourage of 600 soldiers. It wouldn't, wouldn't have been unlikely for that to have happened. 
of people coming to arrest him as though he were a fierce criminal, as though there would be an uprising that would happen in the city because of them arresting him. So they've had to, they had to do this thing at night. Verse 44, Now his betrayer has given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Then they laid their hand on him and they took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know that that was Peter. If you go over into the other accounts in Matthew and over in Mark, uh, Matthew and Luke, you'll find that, uh, that that was Peter. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out? Uh, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? Uh, you came like I'm a, some fierce criminal. Look at you with swords and, and all this. Listen, this wasn't an entourage of four people silently at night. They were coming to seize this guy and to make sure that there was no trouble because they wanted him dead. Then Jesus answered and said, You've come, you come at me like I'm a robber. Verse 49, I was daily with you in the temple's teaching and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. So what's taking place is to fulfill the scriptures. I went out and I taught you. You didn't seize me then, but let me tell you what's happening now. This is a fulfillment of what God predicted from, from what we call the Old Testament. Verse 50, now this is the saddest verse. Then they all forsook him, and they ran. All of his disciples just took off. They've been with him for three and a half years. We've wa- they've watched him heal. They've watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. they watched him do miracle after miracle. they watched everything that I have told you over the last year, reasons that he is God. And when they came to arrest him, they ran. They all forsook him. Not just Peter. Peter's denial was predicted, not just Peter, but all of them forsook him and fled. Verse 51, now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young man laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Many people believe that that's John Mark, the author of Mark. He was part of the entourage, and as he's following, they grab a hold of his, cl- uh, of his clothes, and he just takes off, running out into the darkness naked. He is getting away. These people are fearing for their lives. And the first thing I want to share with you th- this morning as we go through this passage. We're, it's 1 a.m. now. Jesus has been betrayed. These are the final hours. What's going on here as we look at this? First of all, in your notes, Jesus was betrayed with a kiss. I mean, this is information that you have known. But I want to just, like, look at what was the significance of it being a kiss. By taking Jesus at night, the authorities, they were trying to stop the uprising, right? They didn't want to have a situation. Remember, it's Passover. There are several million people who have converged upon Jerusalem for, their, for the festival, for the sacrifice. For, uh, they're bringing their sacrifice. They're having their feast. Um, they had to keep the situation under control. So they come at him at night to avoid the uprising. And yet Jesus knows that his friend would betray him. He knows that, okay, my friend is going to take me down. Now think about that. Judas was a friend of Jesus. He was part of the twelve. For the last three and a half years, he was with them. He likely saw Judas just about every day. And as you think of Judas today, 
you go, ooh. When I say Judas, the music comes on in the background, right? Do-do-do. You think villain, right? But let me share with you what, what, about, a little bit about Judas and Jesus. Judas was the friend of Jesus. He was in the pact, and at that, at, up until this point, nobody saw the difference between Judas and Peter, between Judas and John. They just saw that, okay, there's a few guys that were a little bit closer out of the 12, but you know, Judas was still part of the 12. What must Jesus have felt whenever Judas comes walking up? Whenever he knew that his friend would betray him, but Judas comes up. It's kind of like, can you just imagine, like, that? You, you, he's moving forward. He knows this is going to happen. And now up comes Judas, and Judas puts a kiss on his cheek. Even you, Judas, right? Even you, Judas. And it becomes this, this anger. It becomes this, this, this pain, all kind of betrayal that you and I would face. And yet Jesus knows, I've got to go through this. You know, as you think about Judas, um, Judas is a name that here we are 2,000 years later. If, if you hear the name Judas, what do you think? You think traitor, don't you? You think betrayal. Your mind, your heart goes right there. You, you, you just don't like, you don't warm up to that name. Judas, why did he betray Jesus? Now think about this. There were a couple reasons. Some scholars think that, man, maybe Judas betrayed Jesus simply because he wanted to see an uprising. He wanted to see Jesus take over. Like he, this was his way to push Jesus to become the king because Jesus was humble. Uh, the, the crowd was, remember Palm Sunday just a few days ago, chanting Messiah, Hosanna, save now. And so this was Judas' way to push him forward. Others think that maybe Judas was disillusioned with the ministry of Jesus. Like he had watched Jesus operate and then he didn't totally understand Jesus. And, and so something was missing. And, and yet other people think, well, maybe it was just greed. I mean, he sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Maybe this was just an, an issue of greed. I want you to think we don't know the, the reason that Judas did it. But we know that what he intended for evil, God intended for good. And we see this theme all throughout the Scripture. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. Judas is a tragic figure. Judas goes out. He's overwhelmed with grief. Now, catch this. This was a friend. And when he came up as a friend and he ends up betraying his friend, we read later that as Jesus is being crucified, Judas goes out and hangs himself. He takes his own life. What is that all about? There was, there was a degree of a bond there. And we don't totally understand the whole Judas issue, but we know he betrayed his master. And Judas was at conflict within himself. I, I want you to think about this because when he came up and he kissed him. You know, when we think of a kiss, well, there's all kinds of things that come to our mind when you think of a kiss, don't you? Uh, typically, we think of a kiss in our culture as romantic, right? That's a kiss. Um, in their culture, you could greet each other, and the, the, later on in the New Testament says to greet each other with a holy kiss. I remember when I was 18 years old, I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm going to pick out who to greet with a kiss today, right? Uh, and then I got married, I'm like, I better scrap that idea, right? So that's not too good. Um, so the, the, in the culture, if you were to give somebody a kiss, it would mean that it was, wasn't just romantic. You could give a kiss in true affection. 
So it would be a, a kiss to the side of the cheek. So whenever Judas comes up to betray Jesus, the term that is used here in Mark is a, a, a very tight connection. Uh, it, it was a kiss, but it meant uh, it was showing that there was a tight connection, that there was true affection. This wasn't a fake. This was true affection. So Judas loved Jesus, but he was willing to betray him. Judas loved him, but yet he resented him. Now think about that. He loved Jesus, but yet he resented him. He loved him, and yet he was frustrated by him. Jesus, he, it, Jesus was sold by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. And as the rest unfolds, we see that, that as we go along through the, through the passage here, Peter says, I am going to take off and I'm going, to, I'm going to help save this. So Peter comes up, and we see it's Peter who cuts the ear off of one of the servants of the high priest, okay? If you go over into the book of John, you'll see that the servant's name was Malchus. So he had taken a sword, and, and I want you to catch this because he took the sword. I don't think he was trying to cut his ear off. I think he was trying to cut his head off. He took the sword. Now think about this. Peter said, I will never deny you, Right? Judas just betrayed all of us. He, he betrayed Jesus and he hurt all of us. What are you doing? They're barely awake. And, and here comes Ju, uh, Peter. He takes a sword and he goes after the servant who's probably closest to Jesus. He goes after the servant and he hits him. And, and he doesn't get his neck. He doesn't get his head off, but he does take his ear off. And if, as you go over into the book of Matthew chapter 26, you will see that, that Jesus actually took the ear and he healed the ear. And, and so here we are in the middle of the night. Jesus is going to be facing the toughest moments on earth that he's ever faced. He takes the ear of the person who is arresting him, the person who is taking him out to further torture. And what does he do? He takes the ear and he puts it back on and he heals him. So even in this moment, Jesus is still healing Jesus is still doing his ministry even under the torture and even going all the way to the cross. Verse 53, and they led Jesus away to the high priest and they were assembled and, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance. Peter's saying, okay, I'm going to keep going. As bad a ramp as we give Peter... You know, Peter denied the Lord. That was a tough one, right? And we're going to look at that passage here in just a moment. I want you to remember, who was the disciple that kept going while all the others ran? Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants, and he warmed himself at the fire. So you, you, you come out, and he, he was in the upper room, and then they take, Jesus takes them out. They go out through the, through the gate. Go out to the outside of the city, over to the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is, where this, where this oil press was, where, where this olive oil press was, where they're, where they're just doing all this work, right? His heart is broken. His heart is poured out. His heart has been wrenched. And now he's betrayed. So now this, uh, this entourage of people take him and they come back down through the Kidron Valley into the city and back over. And now they're going over to the house of Anna, Annas uh, and also over to the house of Caiaphas. And it says, but Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. So Peter kept, he kept following, like there was the crowd over there. Peter says, I'm going to keep kind of going along. And, and so just imagine Peter with a hoodie on. 
You know, you know, if you're following and you don't want anybody to see you, what would you be wearing? You'd be wearing all dark, right? Now, he didn't have time to prepare for this. But I want you to catch him being kind of like out here. You see, because when I'm in that light, you can spot me a mile away, right? But Jesus is in that light, and he's saying, I'm going to just, I just, I can't, i got to stay away from this situation. So he, he follows. And by the way, he's the only one who followed at this point. Like all the other disciples, it says they all ran and fled. And then the next word is we get that Peter has come over here. And Peter is, he's making his way. So he journeys in and he goes right into the court of the high priest. Um, in the court of the high priest, it, it, was, it was at his house. There was, there, they had the courts up at the temple. This is where they would normally do all their work. But this is the middle of the night. So they come over to the house, and he sits with the servants, and he warms himself at the fire. So what's he doing? He's just trying to fit in at this point. And so verse 55, now the chief priest and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. So they're, they're beginning the trial. If you want to call it the kangaroo trial in the middle of the night, that's what it was like. Like this, this violated every procedural principle. The procedure would have been to do this in the daytime. It would have been to do it up in the official court. But they had to do this by night. They had to get this done quickly so that they didn't spoil the whole Passover thing, so that they didn't have an uprising, and so that this man did not take over because these people were very threatened by this man, Jesus Christ. Verse 56, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. In the court of Jewish law, in order to condemn somebody, you had to have multiple testimonies, and the testimonies had to line up. So these people, they were, they were getting them, but none of them were lining up. They couldn't get them to agree. Verse 57, then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with with hands, and within three days I will build another one made without hands. But not even did their testimonies agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But he kept silent and he answered nothing. He kept silent and he did not answer. He's sitting there and he's taking this all in. And uh, there's a verse over in, in Isaiah that says that he would be like silent, like a sheep before its shears. He was like a lamb, like a, like a lamb going to the slaughter. And so here is, here is Jesus. He's silent. This is the Lamb of God. He's silent before he goes to the slaughter. And so here is Jesus. He doesn't answer. He kept silent and he answered nothing. Again, the chief priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Are you the Christ? So the chief priest. So they, they could not get the testimonies to, to jive. They could not, you know, if you're dealing in court and you can't get it done. So now the chief priest. This is the highest religious official of the day. He says, he looks in the court and he says, okay, Jesus, who are you? Are you the Christ, the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed one, the son of God? And look how Jesus responds here. Jesus said, I am, period. I want you to catch that. We're going to come back to that. He says, I am. I am that Messiah. I am that blessed one. But when he says I am, 
there's something bigger than there. He says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. If you go over and read in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, you will see what Jesus is talking about. One day the Son of Man would come in power. All through the book of Mark, we kept seeing the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. And so here's Jesus. He has said nothing. He's only come to teach. He's come to heal. He's done all these good things. They, ha- they are now getting ready to kill him. And he says, yes, I am. Then the high priest tore his clothes And he said, what further need do we have of witness? We have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And he says it all to all the other crowd there. Remember, this was the Sanhedrin. There were 70 of them. 71, actually. 71 men of the ruling party. And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him to blindfold him and to beat him, and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palm of their hands. And so the beating and the torture begins. They come to him, and now they've wrapped the, wrapped the blindfold on him. And they come up, they smack him in the face with a blindfold, and they say, go ahead, prophesy. In other words, prophesy who hit you. Come on. Show us your power. And the torture has begun. And so we went from this incredible high of the Passover with his best friends to this incredible low where his best, one of his best friends betrays him and throws him out to the wolves. And he is now betrayed. And I want you to catch this because when we look at this, we see Judas did the betraying. But I want you to see who did the condemning. Jesus was condemned by the religious people. That's number two in your notes this morning. Jesus was condemned by the religious. You know, the, these, this was the group known as the Sanhedrin. Seventy-one men. These were the most pious, most wise. They were the elder. The, the, these were the people that you knew to be spiritual. If you were to go over to Numbers chapter 11, verse 6, you would find that Moses instituted the Sanhedrin. God told Moses to institute this. And so the Sanhedrin, it was, he, God told Moses, choose 70 men to help you. So there's the 71, Moses plus 70 men. So there were 71 men that would be the ruling party. And so for, for 1,400 years, these, this was known all the way from the time they were in the desert. This would be the, the governing party. This would be the religious governing party. Rome would be the one that would be governing politically, but yet here in this day, the Sanhedrin would be governing religiously. And so they would deal with all the religious affairs. So as you see this, you see the 71 men come out, and that's why you see the high priest is putting him to trial. You see this this movement to, to attack after Jesus, but I want you to catch it because they were the most devout people of the day. Jesus never got along with them. Did you notice that? As you go throughout the New Testament, you'll see that they were always crucifying, uh, attacking Jesus, verbally attacking him, verbally coming after him. They had wanted to crucify him all along because he was a threat. And they said, no, this man cannot be God. If he is God, then that means we have to follow him. 
They had a different idea. They, see, they only saw the God of the power. They didn't understand the God of humility. They didn't understand Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 that tells us that he would be the humble servant. All they see is the power. All they see is the power coming out in Ezekiel at the end times when Jesus will be reigning victorious. But all they could see was that, 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 that this was not who that they were looking for. So they have condemned him. And I want you to consider that today because today we still condemn Jesus when we try to give him our good works. When we come up and we say, hey, God, you know what? Didn't I do good today? God, man, I've, here's my good stuff that I've done today. God says, man, you have missed it. That's what nailed Jesus to the cross. Every one of those 71 men, they all said, condemn him. I bet you there were a few that were questioning it. I bet you within her, as a matter of fact, we know Joseph of Arimathea ends up opening his tomb for Jesus to be buried in. He had a lot of questions. And man, at that point, at that point, though, fear has made him retreat. So he's retreated into fear. Isn't it amazing what fear will make us do? Fear will make us do crazy things. It'll make us not do the things that we know we ought to do. So here's a group of 71 men that have come, and the majority has taken over. There were a few likely that questioned it, but they were, Jesus was condemned by the religious. And then they come after him, and they attack him, and they say, you know, they're, they're trying to just pull all these things together. Hey, what did you hear about him? What did you? All right, now, now you say. And they couldn't even get their act together. And so the chief priest comes to him, and he says, Are you the Christ? And when Jesus responds, I am, that's point number three in your notes, Jesus is, I am. He was not merely saying, yes, you are correct. He was saying a name of God, I am. If you go back into Exodus chapter um, chapter 3, verse 14, when God was at the burning bush and he meets up with Moses, and Moses is talking with God at the burning bush. And, and Moses is really struggling. Who are you? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say, say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. The eternal, self-existent one, I am. So Jesus, when he responds at this moment, he's not just saying, Hey, chief priest, I'm guilty as charged. No, no, he's saying, I am. I am the eternal God. I am. And they all recognized that they were schooled in the Bible. They understood the word of God. So when Jesus says, I am, then they take and he rips, the high priest rips his clothes. He says, do you hear this blasphemy? He has called himself God. There's some special relationship between this man, Jesus, and God. Here we have God the Son about ready to pay the sacrifice for your sin. Jesus was not merely a wonderful teacher. He was not merely a wonder worker. Nor was he the political Messiah that they wanted him to be. Yet he was the Messiah. He was God's chosen one. God chose him. And he alluded that there was a special relationship between him and God. Verse 66. Now Peter. We're going to come back to Peter here. Oh, I love Peter. You know why I like Peter? Because I'm just like him. I think most of us are just like Peter. We, we want to do so good, but, man, we, we have a hard time pulling it off. 
Peter goes on to trial now. Jesus is on trial, and now look at Peter's trial. And I'm going to show you three ways that Peter was, was brought to trial, that you and I will be brought to trial. Verse 66, now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when he saw Peter warming himself, so when they saw Peter standing around the fire, they looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, that was you, wasn't it? I noticed that you're with Jesus. And there's the very first thing I want you to catch today. The trial that they brought on, on, on Peter was, who's your leader? Who's your leader? And you know, that's the very same trial that they're going to be bringing you on. Who's your leader? Who's your leader of your life? You know, if Jesus is the leader of your life, you are going to be different. The, the world around you is crazy. Can I remind you of that? Oh, I'm sorry, you came here to forget that, didn't you? Listen, this world does not have the same anything that our leader does. As a matter of fact, I have nothing in common with Jesus. I have to follow him. I didn't choose to follow Jesus because it was convenient. I chose to follow Jesus because Jesus chose me. See, Jesus came along and he chose you and he says, I want you to follow me. That's what he did with his disciples. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And as you come along and you follow the Messiah, as you follow him, he's going to say, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. So he has a complete different value system than the world. And the world will spot who your leader is. That is, if you're following him. And I think that's the big question. Many people are following themselves. Many people are following feel good. I'll follow as long as it's convenient. You see, Peter now, everything's on the line. And they come at him and they say, hey, isn't that, isn't that who you are? You are also with Jesus. You are also with Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 68, but he denied it. I neither know him or, nor do I understand what you're saying. I don't know what you're talking about. So he tries to deny it. And he went out on the porch. And a rooster crows. <laughs> Sound effects are free today. I'll give you the male version. Uh, uh, no, okay. Listen, he goes out, and then Peter. Could you imagine what happened in Peter's mind at that point? And then the lady comes back to him. Now, listen, this was not a lady. It says a servant girl. You think you're tough. And when you get afraid, who trips Peter up but a little girl? Man, that'd be like me coming in and saying, Oh, those fifth grade girls, we've got to take care of them. We do whatever, whatever they say, right? Peter was tripped up by a little servant girl. In verse 69, the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by him, Hey, this is one of them. But he denied it again. This is one of them. And I want you to catch this because the second thing that they, that they put him under trial was, Who do you associate with? Who do you associate with? You, you see, you're one of them. That whole group looks different. All those people are so different. Do you go and hang out? You're hanging out with that band of guys that's with Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 I, I'm denying this. And, and I want you to catch this today because that's the second trial that we will be under is who do you associate with? Do you ever have somebody ask you, why do you go up on that hill? You go, do you go to church up on the hill up there? 
You know the one behind the closed swimming pool? <laughs> do, you, do you go up on, is that where you go to church? And you're like, ah, ah, ah. all depends on what they're asking, right? You're like, well, I've been there a few times. Christmas, Easter, a couple times, you know. And, and, and listen, that's what happens. Who, who do you associate with? And so because those people are, are going to act different, you are going to look different. There's different we have a different purpose. Our purpose is completely different than the world's purpose. When we come up here and gather and we sing praise to God, I mean, where else do you come and gather and sing? Like outside of paying $70 for a concert that blows your eardrums, where do you come and gather and sing on a weekly basis? I, like this, this is amazing what happens up here. So, so they're going to come and they're going to say, who do you associate with? Peter's trying his best to fit in. Now catch this. Peter's trying his best to fit in with a culture that is trying Jesus. He's saying, I, I want to know what's happening to Jesus, but, but I'm staying out here. I'm just going to, I'm going to act like all these other servants. And so he denied it again. And then a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are not a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Oh, man. You know what they're saying? We can tell by the way you talk. It's like coming from Pittsburgh, right? You, you go here from Pittsburgh to anywhere, and they say, where are you from? Why do you talk like that? What are you talking about? You know what I mean? They're like, we know how to talk, right? And that. We have our pierogies in that. We have all those things, Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I can hear you're not one of us. You talk like those people out there. So what does Peter do? Peter says, I'm not going to let that happen. That's that's the third thing we'll be tried by. They will recognize our speech. They will recognize that that we are different. Surely you're one of them. You are a Galilean. Your speech shows it. Then he began to curse. You see, he says, I'm going to show them my speech. Uh, let me show you. And he begins to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. He basically says, you can go to somewhere. And he curses them. He's not cursing Jesus. He's not going against Jesus, but he's cursing his people that are, are perpetrating. And he comes out and says, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And a second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice. You know, when you hear that rooster go off, there, there used to be one in our neighborhood. I'm glad that somebody ate him. There used to be one in our neighborhood, and it would go, you know how fast it takes for the second one to happen? You're not like an hour and a half in between crows. And it was like, man, he denied one, two, three. And Peter, what's it say here? Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me. And when he thought about it, he wept. He starts bawling his eyes out. He cries. He says, I can't believe it. And so I want to remind you that as we're heading into the final hours, here's Peter. He denies Christ. But let me give you the end of the story. If you go over into Mark chapter 16, you will find out that Jesus, after he rises from the dead, he has the angels, and the angels come to him, and the angels tell him, uh, and the angels come to, not, not to Peter yet, the angels come to the women and said, hey, go out and tell my disciples. Go out and tell my disciples and Peter. Look at this. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. 
Oh, now check this out. This is so cool. Why did he say, go tell my disciples and go tell Peter as well? First of all, I want to give you this. Jesus understands betrayal. When you see this, he, under, he understood. Listen, you have been betrayed by people and you have betrayed others. You, we have all betrayed Jesus. Jesus understands betrayal. And so when he comes out, after he rises from the dead, he says, hey, he has, the, he has the angels say, go tell them and tell Peter too. Tell Peter to come see me. What he's saying, he's saying, listen, Peter's got to be there because Jesus knew what happened. Jesus predicted it would happen and Jesus knew what would happen. Now, imagine if you're Peter. And Jesus has risen from the dead, and, and, and the ladies come back and say, you got to come on down, and everybody goes. But he hasn't told Peter. He hasn't named Peter. What would Peter be doing? Peter would be like, I can't go. I, 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 you, you guys go. I can't go. You don't understand, because at that point, they likely didn't know what happened yet. Who was the only disciple that knew about the denial? Peter. Who was the only disciple that knew how the lady responded? Peter. Who was the only disciple that knew uh, how, about all the, all the details of that particular situation? Peter. Well, why would Peter tell anybody? Number one, because it's true. You know, if you were writing a book on your life, on your biography of your life, would you include some details like that? It was true, number one. Number two, Peter was helping you with your past. Every one of us has a past. Every one of us has denied Jesus. Every one of us has had a Peter moment and a Judas moment. And God says, listen, I want you to know that failure is never a person. Would you say that with me? Failure is never a person. We'll put it up on the screen there. Failure is never a person, but failure is just an event. Now catch this. Peter denies Jesus. He goes down. He's a failure. He's crying. And that is not going to determine who Peter is. Failure is never a person. It's only an event. But it's an event that needs the cross. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. And that's why Jesus came back and he lives. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to revel in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Grace, God, not, God giving me something I don't deserve, eternal life. God not giving me what I do deserve. That's his mercy. I deserve eternal damnation. God has given me mercy. I don't deserve heaven. He's given me grace. And this is what he does for Peter. Peter does not have to live yesterday. As a matter of fact, Peter's not just forgiven. He's been freed. And I want to encourage you. Because you know what? God knows. And I want you to know that God knows. Some of you say, I have failed Jesus. And I want you to know, God knows. Take that truth and take it to the grace and the mercy. And come and celebrate. Start praising God. I am forgiven. I am, the, I am the child of God. He has changed my life. I am a new creature in Christ. I do not have to be held hostage to yesterday. Let's close in prayer. As we close in prayer and get ready to sing our closing song, I'd like to ask you this morning to just, just take and come to the freedom of Christ. 
and begin to look and say, okay, I, I don't have to be held hostage. You, you have been forgiven, but many people haven't been set free. It's time to move out of the out of the bondage. Imagine Peter. If God had not said, "Hey, listen, tell them to come and get Peter too, get all the disciples and Peter," God was making a big message for Peter. I know what you did, and I still want to be with you. And folks, that's what God's doing with you. He knows your failure, He knows your shortcoming, and He still wants to be with you, Father God. We come before you now, Lord, and we ask your presence to be upon us. We just ask that you will move mightily in this church, God, as we respond to you, as we sing and we praise to you, Lord. God, take each one of us this week as we work through understanding the betrayal, the denials, but yet your love. You told every one of those guys, I know you're going to screw up, but I'm going to meet up with you anyhow. God, thank you for that love. And I pray that you will do what only you can do in our hearts today. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing a song of close. And let's praise him with the truth of who we are. Because we have been set free. Amen. Let's sing.